This week on the It's a Monkey podcast. You've got to focus on just the core things that matter. And the, all these little things happen successfully on the outside of that. And those core things are, is your site technically sound, indexable and crawlable? And, and Google's happy with it. Are you creating content that's of value to people? Regular, fresh content uh, that's better than anything else out there. Uh, and are people linking to your own site or are you getting links to, to your site? Uh, if those three things are happening, then you know, you're gonna win over time. Good morning, good evening, hello wherever you are in the world. It is Thursday, the 25th of May, 2017. Welcome to the It's a Monkey podcast. We talk about everything relating to technology, entrepreneurship, startups, interesting tech companies, new technology, you name it. Anything related to those areas, we talk about it. It is episode number 93, I believe. Four. 94. Um, I always am one ahead or one behind. Um, with me, that is my co-host, Kate Frappel, who is the design lead at Manage Flitter and Manage Social. Kate, thanks for joining us. No worries. It's good to be back. If any of you are going to be lucky enough to um, try the new version of Manage Flitter, which is Manage Social, um, you'll see all the goodness of the user interface. And that's Kate's handiwork. So you'll see how, how nice that is. And uh, if you do want to register for alpha testing so you can get a pre-release, go to managesocial.com. Manage Social is essentially a new reworked of Manage Flitter with Instagram functionality, and it looks a lot prettier, and I mean a lot prettier. So I uh, hope you, um, if you are a Manage Flitter user, give it a whirl. Um, as always, we have a jam-packed show. Later on in the show, I chat to Aaron Aegis. Aaron works for Louder Online, an SEO company doing work for some of the biggest companies in the world. And we talk about everything related to website traffic, SEO, organic website traffic. You can never have too much website traffic. And uh, SEO is something that, uh, you know, traffic is the unit of currency in a way of the internet. So we talk about content, uh, what's the latest trends, what you should be doing, um, how you can build up more traffic, and some of his experience working with big um, companies and medium-sized companies and uh, case studies. So that's coming up later on in the show. But as always, we talk a bit about the tech news of the week in our crazy industry. And talking about crazy, this week, absolute craziness has been Bitcoin. Now, I know we've spoken a bit about Bitcoin. We've spoken a bit about blockchain um, on the show. And we've had Tim Lee, who's uh, written a great book called Down the Rabbit Hole, which is all about Bitcoin and blockchain. I tried to get hold of him, but he mentioned, uh, told me he's at a, a, a cryptocurrency conference in New York. Now, Kate, it's crazy because Bitcoin has gone through, the price of Bitcoin has absolutely gone through the ceiling and has over doubled, so over 100% in the last five months. Um, the price huh. of Bitcoin has just absolutely exploded. Has it done... I feel like a lot of it's been in the last week or so. A lot of it's been in the last couple of weeks. Okay. It's really... Um, went. It, it sort of... Was it about 1900 and then just sort of poked through 1900 and then just, just kept on going and now it's at 2,400, I believe. Um, if you invested... Now, this is going to make you cry. If you bought $100 worth of Bitcoin in 2010, it would now be worth, I'll just double check it, now be worth $73 million. Now, um, that's quite a return for you. That's insane. Now, it's been driven by a few different, few different aspects. Japan removed a tax on Bitcoin transactions. So now you'll be able to use Bitcoin just as normal currency. It used to, I believe, have an 8% tax. So Japan, a lot of retailers are saying they want to accept Bitcoin just as, as a normal currency. That's created more demand for it. How, um, this is more of a basic level, but if you go into a shop and you want to buy with Bitcoin, how do you do it? Um, same way that you buy with credit card, so there's a credit card? Yeah, there's cards linked to Bitcoin okay. and there's mobile phone wallets 
that have your Bitcoin that you can exchange it in there. And um, I'm not exactly sure of the actual mechanics on it, of it, but I don't think it's I don't think it's a big deal to to put mm. that in. It's more just about whether their systems accept it. There's also something called ICOs, which are taking off wildly, which um, is initial coin offering. So if you want to raise money for a business, traditionally you can get funding from investors or have an IPO, which is initial stock market listing, and you can list on the stock exchange, but there's a whole bunch of regulations. Now, ICOs, mm. there's almost no regulations, and you, you, it's controlled by the and distributed by the blockchain, which is what is underpinning Bitcoin technology, and you get cryptocurrency, as as equivalent of shares now these ICOs have exploded and that's created demand for bitcoin which bitcoin is often the the underpinning cryptocurrency of other cryptocurrencies so i know it's a little bit fuzzy and complex and nuanced and i'm still learning a lot about it myself but um everyone's suddenly discovered bitcoin as well mm. uh, everyone that thought it wasn't relevant to them and thought it was just an enthusiast thing and you can see a pattern happening with all technologies where it starts out as a little toy and enthusiasts and the rest of the world says oh, that's that's uh, not relevant to me and then it arrives and suddenly it is relevant to them and then they start showing interest definitely i think as well it's like a it's a like f- even just speaking for myself, you know, it's like a naivety thing. Like if you don't know what you're doing, you tend to uh, steer away from it. And it's at the stage of the early internet when the early internet, if you fiddled with it in 1995, you had to know a little bit about things like TCP/IP and packet mm. network switching, and then because it was still very raw, and uh, then services got layered on top of. Um, the internet and now people don't really understand how the internet works at all most people especially young people unless they make an effort mm. to learn that just just works it's yeah it's one of those things too if you don't see the direct benefit to yourself then you're less likely to want to learn about it and suddenly people see the direct benefit of bitcoin because the price is surging yes. so a lot of people <laughs> are saying yes. wow i could make i could make some money on this so and it's also driven by political instability places like venezuela china they love to park their money in somewhere that's more stable and um, they trust the blockchain more than they trust their governments mm. which interesting yeah it is really interesting you know it's that that tried and tested the Bitcoin. Uh, there's mm. also another cryptocurrency called Ethereum, which is the second most popular cryptocurrency. It's it's created in a very different spirit to Bitcoin. Won't get into all of that. And that price has also been surging as well. Mm. That's created by a 23-year-old Russian guy who lives in yeah, Canada. Yeah, I've read about him before. Yeah, impressive. Yeah, he's very, um, if you listen to him, he's very clued up. Oh, he's uh, yeah, he's a genius. I mean, he even was identified as a gifted kid as a child. So yeah, no, you he, can tell. <laughs> yeah, his, his 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 parents were like, okay, we've we've <laughs> created a, a genius yes. here. Yeah. So yeah, so look. Uh, that being said, thirty percent of cryptocurrency exchanges have been hacked. So be careful. It's still very early days, and. It, you need a wallet that either needs to be on your computer or in the cloud. And if it's in the cloud, it can get hacked. If it's on your computer, if your hard drive crashes, you lose your cryptocurrency. So it's, you know, but people worry about these things. But cash is sort of the same thing. If you've got cash in your pocket, you can lose it. You can drop it. You can lose your wallet. Um, the banks have done a relatively good job in Australia. Mm of us trusting them and the government backing that up and all of that. So generally, but... And there have been c- countries and other times where where you'd go to the bank and you couldn't get your money. Yeah. Right? I was going to say that that's probably the bank's uh, strong point now is that they store your money for you and you're pretty much guaranteed that it's yours. In Australia now. In Australia, it yeah. Is, yeah. But in Australia… Because they even go out of their way if you uh, do get hacked or somebody starts… Um, what do you call it, skimming your credit card. They'll pick it up. They'll pick it up and they'll refund you. Yeah. They'll give you the money that you lost, yeah. which is, I find that really good. Yeah, it is really good. The banking system in Australia is very advanced and is pretty impressive. But, you know, all of this has come about from times when there were banking issues and so the government fixed things up. And, you know, when there's a run on the bank, if everyone in Sydney decides to pull out a, a ton of money out of their accounts tomorrow 
There's absolutely mm. not enough to go around. So it's all dependent on sanity and stability as soon as there's an exceptional event. Yeah, it's true. So it's not that different. It's just more mature, you know. So the, the blockchain and Bitcoin just needs to mature. And it's, it's already – but blockchain's been around for whatever, eight, nine years. So it's, it's Bitcoin's had quite a lot of maturity baked into it. But mm. very interesting to see where it will all go. And um, Especially when no one's too sure who – is the creator lead, creator and lead of this all. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. very mysterious. <laughs> very mysterious. It is, right? Lots of intrigue around it. And uh, whether it's one person or it's a whole group of smart people that created that, of course, they own an uh, initial chunk of Bitcoin. So, I mean, they... Rolling in it. They have billions and billions to, to cash in there. Who knows? It's, yeah. I mean, someone very, very intelligent, clearly, like, yeah. like this chap. Um, mm. Who created Ethereum? It's it's you need that level of. It's interesting, like on a psychological level too, that that people are trusting this uh, non-figure, I guess. Because even if you think about the banks, you sort of, in my head anyway, I know it's really not that re- much different, but you can think of the the head of a particular bank, and you think, oh, he's in charge of my money. And that's where things are changing, and that's where the blockchain is so transformative. Yeah. is that it's a distributed system of trust which has proven to be more robust than a central figure because what if that head of the bank, that mm. one person you've put your trust in, right? Mm. What if he's taking 10% and sure. skimming it, right? Sure. could be. So you've it's got just a, single a psychological thing that you associate a person with that, even though you, I couldn't even tell you who... You, Who's the head of my bank? And you know why you associate it? Because you're used to it. Yes. Right? You're used to it. You look at the internet, no one really controls it. It doesn't bother no. you, right? I suppose. So you're used to the fact that there's a bank. But if, if the blockchain does a fantastic job and, and it prevents corruption, mm. right, then it's everyone's going to, you know, there's so much corruption. I mean, you look at Brazil these days. I've been chatting to a few Brazilians. I mean, president after president after president gets caught with their fingers in the till. Yeah. You know, and they're struggling for jobs and they're struggling. And it's just, you know, it would be so much better if there was technology that did checks and balances. You can't just mm. get caught with your finger in the tool. And these technologies, that's what blockchain is all about. Yeah. It's a bit of a side note, but yeah, Brazil is quite interesting. I saw some images the other day, considering they just had the Olympics, all of their um, facilities, their pool and everything, it's all like disintegrated, ghost yeah. town. Yeah. Nobody maintained it. Seems crazy. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, Brazil is a complicated uh, country, and it's uh, it's a shame, really. But uh, mm. politics is one of these complicated systems that, when it goes wrong, it's hard to get right again. And that's why we we're lucky when we live in these these, these stable democracies. But anyway, that's Bitcoin. So, are you going to buy some Bitcoin, Kate? Uh, not right now. No. No. Not even a little bit. Five hundred bucks worth. No. <laughs> Mate, well, we'll think about it. I'll think about it. But Bitcoin right or Snapchat? Now it looks Bit- like it might crash. Bitcoin or Snapchat? $500. What would you buy? Oh, interestingly, maybe a month ago I would have said Snapchat. Now I would go Bitcoin. Interesting. Yeah. Well, don't t- if you're listening, don't take this as advice. We absolutely don't know what we're talking about. So th- please, we don't recommend that you buy anything. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, who knows? The That's. Um, I had friends calling me saying, is it still worth buying Bitcoin even though it's increased so much in the last few weeks? I'm like, I have no idea. I'm like, take a view. I believe Bitcoin's a a version of programmable money that's going to be infinitely useful to society. So I think it's great. Buy it. Yeah. Especially if you sit on it long term. If you're looking to make quick money, like, nah. And that's crash people, at any time. When people look at making <laughs> quick money, they usually lose quick money. So it's it's buy and hold strategy is mm. is the go as opposed to trading. So that's Bitcoin, and I believe some interesting things happening on the user interface side of things, but not in the regular user interface side of things. In smells as they apply to a user interface. Tell me more mm. about this. Yeah. So a Berlin-based designer called Nicholas Roy and a bunch of students from eCal, which uh, must be a university over there, have come up with a – it's more of an art piece at the moment, but the concept can be sort of extended into AR and VR. Uh, And it's called Bokeh and it basically um, is a device that 
detects a colour and then presents you with a particular smell that someone, the designer has chosen to associate with the colour. Right. If that makes sense. So this device, I'll point it at the colour red or red wall and I'll smell strawberries. Okay, but you, you, that smell of strawberries, how is it being generated? So in the device, it detects the colour right. and then tells um, like a, a rotating palette and uh-huh. on the palette are cotton swabs of essential oils. Right, okay. And so then these things will rotate inside the cone to present you with the smell associated with the colour. Right, got you. Yeah. I think what's going to be easier to do one day is actually to hack the brain, right? When you've got a VR headset and they'll be able to stimulate that part of the brain or the smell. So if you're in Africa, it will be able to stimulate the right part of the brain and actually simulate that smell in your brain, which will be real for you. It'd be interesting. The argument they would, I would think would be if you have no memory of the smell of Africa, like for me, I've never uh-huh. been to Africa, then... I wouldn't be able to pull that sense out of my head because I've never experienced it. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. But maybe something like like the beach. I mean, it goes for anything really, but it's true. most I, of I, us here in Sydney have been to the beach. Yeah. That if they brought up the beach in virtual reality, all of us would have some kind of memory, smell, emotion attached to and that. And it could stimulate that. And it could stimulate that, yeah. And, and that's when it comes to VR, it's definitely the last, the, the missing puzzle is smells. I mean, you can have the most realistic experience, but if the smell's not there, it's such a powerful, mm. it's, it's such a powerful sense that without it, it's, it's just not quite going to, going to be the total real experience but with it boy it will really it will nail an absolutely complete experience Mm, i think it could get a little bit trippy yeah if you're seeing something you're believing it's there you can smell it like uh you could almost trick your brain into thinking you weren't where you were yeah it would yeah interesting and i mean you know smells been used by brands for a long time you know big hotels for instance they Mm. all have their smell you go into them around the world a lot of the time they smell the same Um, there are companies that have create custom smells so it's it's, the big brands have realized for a long time that Mm. that's that smell is a thing i know they've even uh, had fake leather smell for a long time that sometimes they even include in real leather products Right. Oh wow! Because people like to that leather smell. It. Yeah. Right. It feels good quality, so they put uh, fake leather smell on real leather. Wow. So you can create smells on lots of things. Lots of things, and I mean, I guess you associate certain smells with with freshness or exactly. newness, like new car smell. Exactly. Mm. exactly. So if you could do that on certain products that you bought, you almost think they were more. Uh, valuable or the, the higher the quality was and if it smelt new. <laughs> companies have long worked this out. So, yeah. And you even go, I know in Sydney you walk past certain bakeries, they smell the same every time. You walk past certain butcheries, they smell the same every time. So they've... they've yeah, they've, but it's also what they're cooking and what they're it, selling. It is, but it's not just that because they get consistent across different stores. Yeah. It would be very difficult... True. But mm. yeah, it might be a combination of both. But uh, it's good to see that uh, smells are smells are here. Of course, there's also s- smells can flip on the wrong side. Like I know in New York in summer, there's a lot of bad smells of the rotting mm. garbage and and things like that. And um, in the public transport in New York, when it's hot as hell, it's uh, <laughs> it's not <laughs> the best of humanity. Interesting that the, do you. Uh when you smell garbage here, do you think of New York? No, it smells different. We don't get as hot as humid as New York. It doesn't no. rot so quickly like that. Mm. You know, just, just New York is just, just fermenting on the sidewalk there. It's not very pleasant. But they pick it up in the same day though, don't they? So they'll put it out at night and they'll pick it up in the morning. But if you're out at 11 o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night, you're walking past this garbage. Oh, uh, yeah. It's a similar thing to here except we have bins. We have bins. They just leave bags. Yeah. And they just leave bags out there, and the the residential areas are separated from the more from the, the the cafes and restaurants in Sydney, so you you don't cross paths as much. Um. Anyway, you're listening to episode number ninety four of the It's a Monkey podcast. You can always check out our show notes at itsamonkey.com. You can email us. We'd love to hear from you, um, podcast at itsamonkey.com. We've had a couple of people in the past email us a sound file of their 
business. If you have a small business, new startup, existing small business, and you want some free, totally free publicity, email us a little blurb, 30 seconds, no more than 30 seconds. Tell us what you do. We'll put you in the podcast and we'll put a link on our show notes, which helps with SEO. Just email that to podcast at itsamonkey.com. We're going to take a short break and we're going to be back with my discussion with Aaron Aegis, all about SEO traffic and all those uh, exciting, fun stuff. So stay with us. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to CheckDog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. CheckDog.com helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. You're back with It's a Monkey Podcast. My name is Kevin Garber, CEO of Manage Flutter and soon to be Manage Social as well. I know you hear me talking a little bit about that product and it is nearly, nearly ready for pre-release. So if you are interested in that product, head over to managesocial.com and uh, you can register to have early alpha release. Now, a theme in our business and in all businesses these days, I guess all businesses these days are technical businesses. All businesses are online businesses. Even if you're an offline business, you tend to be an online business. And that means we all got to be on this thing called the internet. And that means we all got to be discoverable by, by our potential customers on the internet. So an ongoing theme, which has been going around since since the web was around almost as is how do you, you as a business or even as a personal brand optimize your online presence so that your prospects find you your customers find you so i've managed to drag into the studio aaron Aegis, who's the co-founder of louder online and aaron himself has been named by forbes as one of the world's leading digital marketers he's the ceo of louder online which is one of the world's leading digital agencies and uh, they specialize they do a lot of work in SEO and content marketing and we're going to thrash out a lot of the latest ideas and thinkings around this huge big area of content marketing and SEO. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. It's nice to have someone in the studio as opposed to a Skype line for a change. Yeah, look, I appreciate you having me here. It's, it's great that you're local. So um, yeah, happy to be involved. Aaron, tell us a little bit firstly, I mean, how did you, how did you get involved in the, the, the the SEO industry? Did you come from an entrepreneurial background, a content background? Uh, so I believe it's a, a bit of an interesting story. Uh, I was working in IT. Uh, most of my jobs are in IT. And um, my girlfriend at the time uh, was in marketing. And we both decided to uh, just sort of pack up and head over to Thailand. And we did an extended stay over in Thailand for about six months. And when we were over there, we were trying to work out how we could do that long term to, to be able to earn a strong currency and live on a, a weak currency and do the whole geo-arbitrage thing. And uh, so we decided to, to do some research and people were saying they're making money online. And so we thought, oh, there's got to be some sort of truth to it. And we thought we'd give it a shot. So uh, doing all this research, headed back to Sydney and um, spent the next four months trying to piece together making money online. It didn't matter how it was. Uh, we tried a hundred different things. Um, in the end, it was about four months in and we made 40 cents online that day. <laughs> um, it, was, it was that one day. That I, was, I was very, very happy. We were high-fiving and jumping around uh, because it, it proved what we, what we thought, which was that you know, it, it is real. You can make money. It's not just people selling courses on how to make money. And what we, what we knew then was what we know today in that the internet can be almost infinitely scalable and really highly automated. Uh, so the next day we turned that 40 cents into $400 and then we continued to scale up from there. We, we were doing affiliate marketing at the time. So uh -huh. just driving traffic to um, hotel and accommodation, booking websites. And affiliate marketing is sort of essentially what uh, the kids in Moldova last year used to spread fake news, sort of, right? I mean, they, they, just, they just sort of created controversy to get traffic and put ad add sense on their site and get a little bit of pocket money. That, yeah. That's the crazy thing, right? Yeah, essentially. And, you know, that, that that's all we were doing. I didn't know, that, like many people, there's so many different channels of traffic to choose, so many different verticals and ideas. And it was really hard to try and piece it all together. And in the end, we went with 
doing it via SEO because it was free or cheap and we didn't have budget to spend on AdWords or anything else or social. So we, we learned how to do SEO, learn how to build a website, learn how to drive traffic and um, were, were successful at it. Now, Louder Online, your agency, you service um, mostly uh, medium size and up companies? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, medium to enterprise. And um, Australia, around the world? Uh, mostly, we're, we're global. Most of our clients are US-based. Probably 90% of them are, are in the US. I, I'm Sydney-based, but probably half my time is spent traveling to, to clients and, and sales meetings and so on. So how long has Louder Online existed in its, in its current form? Yeah, well, look, from that time where we made that money, uh, that first money online, we, we then continued to sort of travel and did the whole digital nomad thing and mm -hmm. continued making money in, in different ways through affiliate marketing. We then had people reaching out to us saying, if, if you're able to drive traffic to your own web assets, surely you could tell me how to do it for my business. And so we started consulting on, on smaller businesses and uh, the agency pretty much formed from there doing you know, consulting work for, for businesses and then continued to scale up through medium to, to enterprise. Um, so look, in total, it's been about 10 years that we've uh, since our first time we started. Is it a very competitive industry? I mean, it seems like the type of industry that a, a lot of people claim to know something, but the number of people that really know something is, is actually not that many, right? Yeah, um, there's so many people putting their hand up saying that they're SEO experts. If mm. You can jump on LinkedIn if you say, I'm looking for an SEO person. There are hundreds of people that will jump on that, mm. to that thread and comment saying that they'll change the world for $150. It's, it's ridiculous. The good thing is that at, when you get to a level of actually doing what you're supposed to do, that there's not many people that exist. There's not much competition out there that know what they're doing and can do it for uh, medium to enterprise. I mean, how smart are Google these days? I mean, I've over the last couple of years, I mean, they they claim that they've you know, put um, you know fancy machine learning algorithms in, and I've noticed with their results, and I've. A couple of friends have noted the same thing. They're surfacing a lot of old content in the results, things from, um, at least in the things we search for, some sort of tech-related and marketing and business-related from 2011, 2012. A lot of us are toggling the from-this-year-only setting to get results that are, that are more relevant. It's a bit of a cat-and-mouse game, for lack of a better word, between, um, I wouldn't say gaming it, but obviously Google needs to present the right results to the right people is seo still is it is it still something where you can add a disproportionate amount of value if you actually are strategic about the way you approach your content online considering the search engines up front yeah definitely um, it's it's what our whole business is built on and we, we do work with some of the biggest companies in the world, making sure that they're thinking of, of SEO and organic traffic first. It's a really high quality type of traffic and it's extremely valuable to businesses. So you know, we're getting in in advance and making sure that content strategies are built around the, the right sort of thing that people are going to want to link to and share socially. We're making sure the content's written in a way that search engines love. We're making sure that we're distributing it and doing link acquisition from the right sites to the right sites and to the right pages on these sites. It's, um, it drives huge success and we've been successful as an agency with big companies because we're following those steps and doing it right. Have have you taken calls in the past where a company calls you up in a panic and says our rankings have dropped, help? Yeah. So yes, in multiple different ways. When we initially worked with small business, they would call every day. It'd uh -huh. be their only source of marketing and their whole business you know, lived and died by the success. So they'd be looking at their rankings daily and, in, and also the budgets they're paying. You just can't get the results that they're after. So it was... It was a nightmare doing it for small business. I had many of those calls. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of big business, yeah, I, I can say one of the, I, I can't name the client specifically, sure. but one of the, the biggest tech companies in the world, headquartered in San Francisco, that's a client of ours, they had a, a sudden penalty, Google penalty kick in, and you know, the site's getting millions of visitors per month, and they lost 70% of their traffic overnight. The interesting thing is they didn't call saying, hey, where's our traffic? We picked it up straight away and told them, guys, you've got to fix this. It was a user-generated content uh, penalty. So mm -hmm. people were spamming their forums with Viagra links and all right. sorts of things. So yeah, that, that was a huge panic there when you think 
you know, small businesses can shut down because of Google penalties. You can imagine big businesses and how many millions of dollars they're losing by by being out of the rankings. It wasn't Google, your client, right? No, no. <laughs> I'd take them as a client, but no, it wasn't them. <laughs> so give us some other examples. I mean, it's quite interesting. Our listeners, you know, they're often interested in in case studies of problems and solutions. That's that's quite interesting. I mean, give us another example. Obviously, you don't have to mention any specifics of a specific um, challenge or a problem and how you guys or what solution you put in place and the, the, the results that flowed on from the changes. Yeah, so I can give a, a more basic one as well uh, mm-hmm. that, that works for pretty much any sort of keywords that you're targeting in any size business. Uh, one of our clients that we used to have was very famous in the f- famous for being trading penny stocks and doing mm-hmm. um, education around penny stocks uh, over in the US. And the main thing that he wanted was I need to be on, on page one up the top for the keyword penny stocks. And mm-hmm. it just drove a whole lot of business. Now he was sitting off on page two or three at the time. Mm-hmm. The thing is, the the page that was ranking for penny stocks was his homepage. Mm-hmm. It wasn't an inner page or, or anything like that that could be tailored around that specific keyword. So what we did is we took we took a lot of his existing materials from his courses, built out a complete guide to penny stocks. So it was about thirty to forty thousand words. This piece of content, we completely built that out, put that on a landing page, which was his domain forward slash penny stocks, and then proceeded to publish that. Get it get it professionally designed. Publish that. And then we spent the next three or four months doing link acquisition work direct to that page. Um, within four months, he was ranking number three for penny stocks uh, in the US, which I think had uh, around 100,000 searches a month. So that that was pretty uh, a pretty big success, actually. Fantastic. Now, who actually wrote that content? Part of our content team did. We've right. got a, a team of 15 writers that are US-based that, right. that look after the content for our clients. So they did part of it. The company had some of the content already. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was just combining that in a way that was effective and beneficial and valuable for the readers. Because, I mean, that's that's a part of the component that, that you're quite casual about, but I assume that content's got to be pretty good, right? Yeah, I mean, when you're looking at doing a piece of content, you've got to make it better than anything else that's out there. Otherwise, it's, it's not going to achieve the results. When, when I'm referring to these sorts of complete guides or advanced guides or people call them 10x pieces of content, whatever it is, mm-hmm. we, we look at what sort of competition exists for, for that piece of content online and make sure that um, you know finding a piece that might be old and we can update it or is too short and we make sure we're doing a longer piece or it doesn't have enough data or is poorly designed or something to make that piece of content we're creating better than anything else that's out there. Um, and in doing so, in all of this research, we can see who's linked to these other posts, who's shared those other posts, and we can build a big list for our own outreach once the new post goes live. You know, I've got an admission to make that we are, at Managed Flutter, we are incredibly ordinary at SEO. And um, we've, you know, we, we've sort of historically come from being a bunch of techies and product guys and um, with the love for Twitter and that's how our product evolved. But um, we've got pages that, I mean, we rank number one on Google for unfollow, right? And so we, we get some nice nice juice in there but boy we have not made use of it at all and it's we really need to speak to someone like you because we've got pages there that are five six seven years old that are that look like they're from 1997 and I still remember I still remember when we were sort of prototyping and and you know just moving very fast in the early days of the product we were like let's just put something simple we'll come back to it you know we yeah. haven't been back since that I mean that's a standard thing that we hear and see though it's that you you create content just because you think you, you need some content out there and it's content for the sake of content and not a lot of strategy and thought behind it is we see that regularly um, so many of the um, new clients that we we take over we have do a big audit of their their blog and their editorial content and most of it is three to five hundred words something about their product or their service or whether they've been featured in the news or something like that none of it is the sort of content that people naturally want to share or link to through their own websites but i mean is it has it become hyper competitive so that everyone's trying to do this seo game or is it still the type of thing that everyone's really talking about but 
still very few people are actually doing it properly. It's a, a mixture of both. There's a lot of people that have jumped on the content bandwagon. There's so much content being created, but very little of that content is of any value. If For us, that content, if it hits those two key things, which is people want to share it, naturally want to share it, and naturally would like to link to it through their own website, that piece of content successful. And there is so little of that content out there that mm. is still wide open for people who, who have a strategy and can do the content ideation, creation, distribution, link acquisition. So that, that's, the, that's the key components in all of this, right? I mean, the content is the, the unit of currency in a way and the quality of the content, which is essentially what Google says the whole time, I guess. They, yeah. they always say, you don't need SEO if you're giving people what they want, you know, um, which in a way they write, but it's a lot more, they miss out all the granular steps in between. Yeah, uh, yeah. look, content fuels every marketing channel that, that you can think of. You have great content and you're creating good editorial content on your own website. You can use social to distribute that everywhere. Forums you can engage in and, and share that content. You can do influencer outreach. There's there's numerous different things. And, and like you said, that's what Google wants you to create great, valuable content for people answering their questions and solving their problems. The bits that they miss out on are all the little steps in between. And they don't say anything about the fact that you still need to get eyeballs on that content. You still need to hustle to build those links afterwards. They, they'd like the content to speak for itself and naturally earn those links. Does Has Google got smart about social influence? So if you... If you write a tweet and you perhaps link, basically, how, how you know, does it? If a company is doing a good job on Facebook and Twitter, does Google factor that into the rankings as well in terms of some sort of uh, page rank or quality of company or something like that? Uh, that depends who you ask. Everyone's got a different opinion. Um, right. My opinion is that. I don't think it comes into play at the moment. That right. stuff is too easy to game. You right. know, if you, I mean, you, you guys are in the business of, of Twitter and I'm sure you know you can buy accounts, automate yeah. different accounts out there and you could be posting so many links back to your own content. It's, it's too easy to game and outside of Google's control. So I don't believe that it's taken into the uh, algorithm at the moment. It's too easy to game, but it's also when people do social well, it's quite obviously when they're doing it genuinely well. You know, but I think I'm not sure if Google can work out quite yet the difference between gaming at well and actually doing social in a way that um, is actually adding value to the people that are following those social accounts. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, that's I, I just I think that in the future they they will take into account more and more of it. But I guess that's probably part of the play with. Uh, not Google Hangouts. Google uh, Plus. Google Plus, yeah. Uh -huh. I think that was where they were going with that. It just didn't take off. And so they've lost the ability to get what they wanted from that. People still say, uh, you should post on Google Plus because it helps with your SEO. I read something yesterday. Someone said, no, I, I don't know. I think these little once-off little hacks are only going to get you so far if, it's, you're not, if you don't have the fundamentals in place, right? Yeah, and that's the thing. People just get swept up by that stuff and yeah. they hear the next thing, do this and do that. And they're doing a hundred little things that don't mean anything. You've got to focus on just the core things that matter. And the, all these little things happen successfully on the outside of that. And those core things are... Is your site technically sound, indexable and crawlable yeah. and, and Google's happy with it? Are you creating content that's of value to people, regular, fresh content uh, that's better than anything else out there? Uh, and are people linking to your own site or are you getting links to, to your site? Uh, if those three things are happening, then you know, you're going to win over time. Does Google still wait long form content posit so positively? Yes, yeah, so when, when we bring on new clients, we do a big content audit, as I was mentioning, of, of their, their editorial content and their blogs. And I'm, I'm talking about some massive sites here. And what mm -hmm. we do is we pull in um, analytics data, we pull mm -hmm. in links data, social data, and then we do web scraping of their content as well. So what, we're able to pull back some really big insights on this content. And what I can tell you is that 100% of the time, long-form content performs better than short-form in terms of links and social shares. Um, it, it's there's a psychological aspect of it that even if people aren't reading the whole piece of content, they're more likely to share and link to it through their own websites because it makes them look smart. Interesting. I mean, I've noticed that there's a trend for some of the super smart people in the States to go back to short form, right? So I get an email 
daily from Seth Godin, who I'm sure you've heard, heard of. And it's super short. I think it's two, three paragraphs. But it's, it is crafted like a, a piece of art. And it's beautiful because it's, it's short but brilliant. I get um, Howard Linzon, I think's his name. He's a sort of entrepreneur stock guy. He does a similar thing. And I love them. I love yeah. them because, um, you know, I think Mark Twain said, uh, I'm writing you a long letter because I never had time to write you a short letter. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that that's still that long form, but, but uh, I'm sure Google's smart enough to realize that you can't, you know, there's a big difference between quality long form and just uh, token long form. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, there's, there's things that long form pieces of content um, can do in terms of Google's eyes that short pieces can't. And, mm. you know, you can't, you can't be found. Think about a long form piece of content. It's going to be attract hundreds potentially of long tail keywords for that that one piece of content. Those advanced guides that we're doing, 40,000 word guides. They, there's a lot of keywords that's going to be found for and indexed for and, and driving traffic for these little sort of things that Seth Godin's putting out there. They're brilliant and people love them, but they're not going to be found for mm. hundreds of different keywords. It's just technically not likely to happen, you know. So it's. Um, there's so many aspects to, to why long form continues to, to work and we've proven it with data. And most people aren't Seth Godin. No, so he's already got the authority. Yeah, he's so got the audience. If you're Seth Godin, it's... Well, that, yeah, that's, that's the caveat to this. Um, no, the, uh, the other place where there's lots of short form content is news sites. You mm. know, there's, there's lo loads of, of short pieces on these sites and they're successful because they've got the authority and the audience already. If you're trying to build that authority in that audience, uh, you've got you to put something out there that's, that's not short form. And what about the issue of duplicate content? I know it's become very popular to publish on Medium. It's a great platform, but some people publish both on Medium and their personal blog. And I think there are some, some tags you can put in Medium if it is a duplicate content so that Google's aware that you're aware that it's duplicate content. Am I correct? Yeah, that? canonical tags. Uh -huh. I, there was a huge thing about duplicate content that, that was out there for a long time. It's sort of fear, fear mongering. I, you shouldn't be creating duplicate content ideally, but yeah, I, I repost stuff on on LinkedIn that I've created elsewhere. Right. The reality is you can't control what people do with your content, whether yeah. they copy it and publish it elsewhere. So, I think I think you got to be smart about it, but also be realistic. How hard is it? I mean, bearing in mind content is the core of of all of this finding good writers i mean it, you know sometimes i see i saw an advert the other day i mean someone was was offering i don't know they were they were only offering 45 dollars for a long form article i mean that's you know that's not realistic to get you know a long form article can you give any tips to find help to actually create this content obviously they can come to an agency like yourself but you guys are on the, the the more on the bigger end of town is it realistic to go to something like odesk or some other service that you can actually find quality um, writers yeah it's like outsourcing for anything the mm -hmm. the most important part is your systems and your instructions around what's allowed and what's not allowed and what what you need and all the requirements um, that way you can, can hire cheap people. But the reality is I've gone through cheap writers and Never it's works. not worth it. No, yeah. I, The value that you get through having a, a more expensive writer or more expensive pieces of content is, is definitely up there. Um, it means that the, it, it doesn't matter what happens. You could have the best piece of content out there. If no one sees it, it's pointless. It's mm -hmm. completely pointless. So I would rather pay because it means that the marketing side and the distribution side is going to be a whole lot more successful. And people think, a lot of people think that writing is easy and that they can write. And it's actually really, you know, I think writing's interesting is that it, it is tough to write well, but it's also the type of thing if you practice a little bit, you can actually um, hone your craft and you can actually become a writer that's, for, for blogs, if you got clarity, that's fine. You don't need to be funny. You don't need to be interesting or you don't need to be a professional writer but you just actually have to get that clarity down that's that's essentially 90 percent of the the challenge right yeah well look there's also different structures that you'd write in terms of writing a blog versus a white paper and, and all those other things and writing a blog there's there's a lot of structure that goes in and strategy that goes in to make sure that when people are reading it that they're likely to share it, that it's linking through to the right sort of places, internal, external links. You've got short paragraphs so that people aren't just getting burnt out by 
the content and reading big slabs of text. There's there's a whole lot of s stuff that goes into making it really successful. And um, that sort of touches on the point previously in that if you've got a great content strategy document that you're operating by, then that really can help guide and inform whatever writers you've, you've vetted previously. So when we're doing content strategies for clients, it's covering a whole lot of stuff like um, tone and style and voice, uh, content length and structure, map it back to aligning with business objectives. Um, there's a whole lot of stuff around content ideation and making sure it's not content for the sake of content and you're actually writing something people are searching for already. Now, editorial planning and scheduling, there, there can be a lot of structure that goes into it if you want to make a, a successful go of it and that's what a lot of people aren't willing to do. Mm, interesting. And so where do you see, I mean, the next year or two, I know Google's you know, pushing for their machine learning type algorithms. If things established important elements like backlinks, are they still going to be as important? I believe they are for, right. for a long time, yeah. I, I, I believe that they're probably going to phase it out eventually, but I have mm -hmm. no idea what they're going to swap it for. Mm. I think Google's actually facing a challenge where to to reinvent a search engine is 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 going to be tricky because it, it it has become a lot more complex and I, I i do you find google search results as good as they were maybe 10 years ago uh i i do um do you? I, I personally think they're, they're good i mean 10 years ago i wish it was 10 years ago the stuff <laughs> that you could get away with and the how easy it was to get things ranking in yeah. no time uh I'd be sitting pretty on an island somewhere. <laughs> yeah, well, you're on an island. It just happens to be a big one. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, I mean, on that uh, on that note, is it, it? Do you still see some niches and some keywords that that there's the opportunity for the taking? I mean, I assume if you wanted, if a real estate agent in Sydney came to you and said we want to rank number one, is a lot harder than if um, you know someone who manufactures a very unique type of harp, for instance. That there's that there's nothing. I mean, do, is it still realistic for a lot of businesses to take this approach and to try push themselves up the ranking? Absolutely. Uh, and it matters. You've got to ask the right questions of these people. So if this real estate person comes up and says, you know, get me up there for real estate, I want to rank for real estate, the question would be, well, what are you trying to get? Mm -hmm. And it, ideally, well, not ideally, most of the time it comes down to traffic leads and sales. Yeah. So it's more, okay, you want traffic leads and sales, why would you go in and compete on a single vanity keyword of real estate when we can look at all these hundreds or thousands of other long tail keywords that all these big behemoths aren't competing on? And it's about finding the opportunities there and building that into a content strategy, creating the content around that, and then you know, that's how you can be successful. I just did a whole um, uh, interview at a virtual summit on how small business can compete with the uh, you know, big behemoths and big enterprise companies, and that was one part of it. Um, stop trying to go for the head terms, go for the, the long tail strategy and, and niche down. How important are domain names? I mean, there's all these new domains like .news and .co and .io. .online. .online. I mean, you can get you can get all sorts of .al or .ai. I would imagine the the the, the sort of um, extension domain extension doesn't really matter that much. But the domain name does it help? It used to help a lot more, I think, than it does now, right? If you have a, a, a you know an online Pets accessories, having onlinepetsaccessory.com used to help quite a bit. Does it still help? Yeah, exact match domains used to, they used to kill it. You could just get yeah. one of those and, and be really, really successful. Um, having said that, you know, Google spent a lot of time trying to phase that out, but it's not gone. It's right. still, if you've got an exact match domain, that's, it's still going to help you. Um, even partial match domains, so your keywords and maybe another word in the, in the domain, uh, it still helps. Yeah. Do, is it better to get a partial match on a .com or a full match on something like a .co? I think the choice will come down to branding rather than anything else. Right. Um, and for me, I'd be focusing on the branding side of it and I'd probably go a partial match on a .com. Partial match on a .com because it's, it's cleaner. People are still familiar with .coms. Yeah, it's people's impression mm. uh, at the moment. You know, if you've got a .info or .co and, and those sorts of things, they... You used to be able to buy dot infos for 48 cents. So yeah. uh, there's just an impression that's out there. I, in terms of what Google thinks, they've said clearly that it doesn't matter what uh, yeah. domain extension you're on. 
It um, is becoming a little bit quote unquote cooler to have dot uh, wine and dot news, and I think because people are all the dot coms, a lot of them are gone, and people don't want to buy them for a price in the secondary market. Yeah, I mean we're on louder dot online, so there you go. I'm, I'm pretty happy <laughs> with it. <laughs> I think what people don't realize a, a tip if if people are are listening, there's actually. There is a very big secondary market for domains and you can often pick up really nice domains, especially two-word domains, for relatively cheap. Like I'm talking about under $1,000. Yeah, it's great for branding. You just got to make sure that you know enough about SEO to see if that domain has been damaged in the past, if it's got tons of dodgy links to it or a carried over penalty from from the past. There's, There's a lot of research that needs to be done. But that will sort of wash itself out over time, right? I, I don't agree. I've, really? I've bought an expired domain that had it was only like 40 or 50 average links to it and could not got that, get that site ranking and it got a penalty. It was a brand new site. The, site had, the domain had not been used for two years. Huh. Uh, the penalty came back. Wow. Interesting. It was an expensive domain too. Yeah, so if, you, if you're going to spend a decent amount of money, then you definitely should check that out. And you can check that out just with some, some standard tools or backlinks. And yeah, there's um, hrefs.com, uh, Open Site Explorer, Majestic. There's a big range of uh, link profile tools. Any other tools, especially for the small business, that you can recommend that they can put in their arsenal to either create content, assess their site, and just help them move along this path? Yeah, uh, creating content, look at buzzsumo.com. Uh-huh. It tells you all the social shares against um, content. So you can search based on keywords and it shows you what other content exists for those keywords and where it's been shared socially. Uh, it even says who shared it socially, who's linked to it. So there's a lot of research you can do from that to be able to say, all right, that, that's a piece of content that's worth creating because there's an audience out there and people are sharing it. So you've, you take that content, you put a little bit of a different spin on it. Or a, a lot of a different spin. Put <laughs> make it more detailed, more data, better design. Just put the effort in so that um, you know, it makes it hard for people not to want to link to it. And that's um, that's quite an expensive product, though, right? Can be. Um, yeah, we we do two types of content for clients. It's the sort of ongoing fifteen hundred to two thousand word sort of weekly posts, or some clients are doing that daily, which are still longer than most pieces of content out there, and more images and, and better content. Then there's the the advanced guides that I'm referring to that can be thirty forty thousand words long, and um, those ones are just massive link magnets. And oh, thirty thousand words. That reminds me of my university days. But I think even my, my final thesis, I think, was only 10,000 words. Yeah. 40,000 words is, is a big piece of content. Yeah, but you, know, you get do what others aren't willing to do and mm. you'll see extraordinary results and or unusual results. And that's, that's what we aim to do. And it, it has worked 100% of the time. If you can create this content that's outstanding, you can easily get the links to it. And you know, people are willing to link to it, even from big publications like Forbes and Huffington Post and those sorts of places. You know, we did something a few years ago. We've got another product called CheckDog, which um, monitors websites for broken links and spelling errors. And we haven't given it much technical love for many years, but we still have quite a few customers that use that. But this was in the days before Manage Flutter. And we, I got an intern to, to use our product to scan all the university, the top 20 universities by the Financial Times in England every year puts out the top 20 universities. Um, we got her to scan the websites of at least the front page and all the pages linking to the front page. We got her to scan um, all those pages for spelling errors. They were all riddled with spelling errors and of course the most misspelt word on the sites. Do you want to take a guess? I would have absolutely no idea. <laughs> University. Yeah, okay. <laughs> right. We put together a media release saying the top um, you know, the sites, the universities with the worst spelling on their sites got picked up around the world. Yeah. We got on Sky News. They did a story on us and got interviewed at a New Zealand radio station. It was really such a nice hook. The, the leading university in terms of errors, I still remember it was Duke University. They freaked out. They emailed us and they wanted a copy of these errors. And, yeah. and, and uh, you know, their marketing person, I can't remember if they, they released a statement. It really ruffled feathers. And all we were doing was actually just taking a public website and looking at it. We really didn't, we weren't doing anything untoward and we just reported on it. And so I think the example is, you know, if you do 
create some interesting piece of content, you can definitely generate interesting interest. Yeah, look, a little bit of creativity goes a long way. And I think that's fantastic. It's a really good example of, of thinking outside the box. And what I like about that as well is you could have done a follow-up post about all these universities reaching out to you and, and asking questions and freaking out. And uh, it could have been more fodder. And, uh, you know, what you've got at the moment as well is the ability um, with Facebook ads to be able to target the right people with mm. this content. So you can you can target people working at certain companies through Facebook and do it cheaper than the likes of LinkedIn. And you could have taken that piece and advertised it to all of the media outlets throughout the country or a specific country. And So all uh, the people working at a specific media outlet, they see the story and they think, oh, that's, that's an interesting story. To exactly. Run it's how to do your own PR for cheap. PR is very underrated. I mean, I, I was lucky in that I worked at a radio station when I was at uni and I got to see from the other end how so much of news is PR people that are, are pitching you stories and you pick up the interesting ones. People more than, a, you know, even then, but especially now, journalists um, are always under the pump. If you get them in an interesting story that doesn't require much work, they're going to run with it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I currently run, uh, sorry, write for Forbes and Entrepreneur and Business.com and a ton of those big places on a regular basis. And I get an unbelievable amount of just cold outreach uh, PR pitches that are just mm. horrible. Mm. I don't know how anyone ever picks that stuff up anymore. If you if you want to cut through the noise, then you know, be creative and, and use some ads that retarget people and follow people around or you know, just be smart and be different. Retargeting drives me nuts. It's just <laughs> like you visit one site, you know, you'll visit a site and then for the next week. And you, what, what drives me the most mad is if you actually buy something from that site. And I'm like, you know, like there was a hotel that I went to in the States and I actually I stayed there for five days. And then for the next month, I'm getting ads for that hotel. And I'm like, I've already stayed there. You just give me a break you know wasted ad spend just well it is budget yeah but unfortunately the retargeting isn't that intelligent well it wasn't in my case to drop some cookie and say look this guy's purchased here he stayed here just let's do it he's here for a vacation maybe six months or a year we'll ping him that again yeah they they it is smart enough they just haven't set it up right (laughs) is that right yeah It's, it's incredible what you can do with that sort of stuff at the moment I'm a huge fan of Facebook ads and and the amount of custom audiences and lookalike audiences and retargeting and it there's a, a massive matrix out there of ways of being able to target the right people for cheap before they even know they're interested in your product or service. So, final question, I guess you know a lot of people are talking that the about video, especially video on Facebook, Facebook and video on Twitter does really well how does video tie in whether it's live video pre-recorded video video clips i mean should you with these long form articles should you should you include some short form video summary or or is it just you know is anything special about video or or is it just uh, google can't index video in the same way right uh look my answer to that is that start with video if if you've got an option of how to create content start with video and Um, it's the highest and best form of content. You can strip out the audio and do podcasts. You can um, do transcribing and yeah. you know, create text posts out of that. You can. There's so much that you can do if you start with that form of media rather than any other. So I, I love I love video. Um, you know, Facebook Live is. Um, you talk about the organic reach when you're you're. Um, posting to your fan page and it's like less than two percent at the moment of of your fans will see your post Uh but if you record a facebook live video every one of your fans gets notified that you're live so you get 100 percent organic reach so um, i don't know how long it'll last but i I think it's a a massive thing to be able to reach that many people for free and and video does real well everywhere just like you said um yeah this youtube's a, the second biggest search engine in the world yeah, yeah. Um, they've got universal search where if you're creating video and getting that indexed that um you know if you it'll come up in the top of google for for relative search terms so i, I love video i think it's great cool aaron Aegis, thank you so much. Aaron's the CEO of Louder Online, one of the world's leading digital agencies with a global reach. We'll put up all the links on the show notes. It's uh, always a nice, interesting, moving feast. And um, it's uh, maybe maybe one day when our rankings drop, you'll get a panicked call from me. <laughs> hopefully before that happens. <laughs> hope, hope, hopefully before that happens. But um, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and uh, particularly great to, to have you in the studio with us. 
Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Hi, my name is Dave Zarati, and I'm the customer support specialist here at Manage Flitter. Manage Flitter is a tool that helps you work faster and smarter on Twitter. With Manage Flitter, you can clean up and grow your Twitter account. You will also get access to useful Twitter analytics, social content scheduling, and much more. Go to manageflitter.com and start your free trial today. Kate, even when I started working on the internet in the 90s or the late 90s, even then there was the cliche, content is king, even Mm. way back then. I mean, it just comes down to content. It's just sure there's a few bits and pieces that you can fiddle with and optimize things, but it just comes down to content. That's really at the end of the day. And good content too. It's going to be valuable. Lots of good keywords and something that people want to read. That answers a question. Mm. Right, that's a good place to start. If you're listening and you don't know what to blog about, what do your customers always ask you? Yeah. If I, you know, whatever industry, if you're a mortgage broker, I bet you they're always asking you, what's happening with property in Sydney, right? Write a weekly article, Mm. property outlook in Sydney. You know, it's answering the questions because that's what we type into Google is... Mm. Interestingly too, people like to read things that affirm what they already believe in. Yes, the confirmation bias. Yes. Yes. So if you're writing and you could write about your life or your experiences and stuff, but if it's – people do like unique ones, but if they can relate to it, I think they're also quite likely to read to the end and share it and enjoy it. Why Sydney's property is going to go up in the next five years and then all the people that have bought property will read that article and share it. Yeah. Yeah, potentially. Potentially. Because they don't want to think about the fact that it could crash. They want to think that they're doing the right thing and it's moving upwards and onwards and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. confirmation bias is definitely a thing and that's why, you know, all the politics, it's been so tricky because – we all just listen in our echo chambers, and then we, and the odd time we cross, we just we just scream and shout at each other and retreat back to our sides. Yeah, you know it takes um, a lot of self awareness to move beyond that confirmation bias and listen to something that you firmly disagree with. A good exercise for that is, I don't know if you've ever done this. If you've got a particular view about something, like I don't know. Sydney property is going to go up or, or, or even political, which is a lot mm. more contentious and someone else has got an opposite view. Have a debate but swap positions. Yeah, figure out what the, what the argument is for the other side. Yeah, and, and, and you have to argue their position and they have to argue yours. Mm. And it's an interesting exercise. Yeah. Because it does help create empathy. So you can do these bits and pieces. But yes, as I mentioned in the interview, we at Manage Flitter haven't done as well as I'd like to at the content side of things. It takes time to do properly mm. like everything else, but yeah. it's, it's definitely organic traffic is, is definitely a very powerful tool in your arsenal of, of marketing techniques. Mm. It's also a, a tricky task to get eyeballs on the content. So to do some ads or to promote it, put it on your social channel, stuff like that. Otherwise it's less likely that people are going to read it. Yes. They're not going to find it. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. And that's where the the paid search and the paid social and here's the interesting bit about targeting that Aaron mentioned on Facebook where you can target people mm. so tightly in geographies and in particular companies and, you know, create a media release and target it at people that work mm, at. Definitely. At, so there's – and that's why, you know, and, and I get no benefit out of this but, but using specialists like Aaron or, or other people, it's – it can help you. I mean, all these great little ideas, you know, you don't think of, right? And your day-to-day yeah. just caught up in all sorts of things. Unless you, you're lucky enough to have, we don't have a content team and we don't have a growth team and we don't have any of these fancy teams. So to, mm. to have people that from the outside that can help you and it's, um, it works, all this stuff, all this stuff works. Yeah. You made an interesting point too about uh, retargeting and how, like if you go to a hotel, I think was your example, and they continue to put ads on your Facebook feed and like everywhere you go, you're still hearing about this hotel even though you've already purchased and experienced it. Uh, it's not the type of ads you want to see at the recent Google conference, um, but not the IO one, another one focused on marketing. They announced a new feature called 
Google remarketing. And so now the people who are setting the ads have a lot more control over who sees them, how many times they see them. We don't have as much control as consumers. We can't say switch that ad ad off. Mm -hmm. But at least the people marketing have a little bit more insight than they've had before. Yeah, and uh, any smart marketer realizes you don't don't want to annoy your target market. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't... It doesn't really serve you in mm. any which way, but um, yeah, it's because it's come a long way. I mean, I mean, all of these technologies are quite quite remarkable, and um, there's if if you have a small business, I would definitely even just buy some time from some experts, even just to get these ideas, and you then potentially find someone outsourced on Odesk or sorry, it's called Upwork now that to help implement one of these strategies, but. They're mm-hmm. very, very powerful techniques and Facebook is an incredible platform. Twitter is an incredible platform and they give you lots of, lots of tools to, to, to market yourself to very, very niched audiences. Mm. At the moment, the barrier is just understanding all these analytics and AdWords, for example. You can, you can look at it and get a, a fundamental kind of knowledge, but to really dig deep, you've got to... Um, yeah, it's, it takes time. You can't just log in like you can on Twitter and figure it out. Uh, yeah, and, and never never forget the user. But we, we digress. But um, anyway, it was an interesting chat. And uh, if anything, it's motivated me for us to just keep on the content game mm. and, um, you know, reinitiate some of these activities that we've been involved with. And, you know, we've got some blog articles there that are fantastic, but they we haven't had some for, for a little while. And um, anyway, that's the It's a Monkey podcast. And we'll be back next week with great interviews, news. We hope you enjoy it. Feel free to drop us a line. Also, if you want to be interviewed on the show, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. See ya.